Well, good morning, everybody, and God bless you, especially if you don't want it. Um, I have a couple of uh, announcements real quick here. Um, there should be a picture behind me of our young adults and their hike on North Mountain, and also a hike with the Casa de Avis kids at Watson Lake up in Prescott. Um, young adults went up last Sunday. No one fell off. Everyone's doing fine. Uh, and there are more events planned if you are interested in being part of that. We suggest you uh, go on our website, look for a young adults link and sign up or make sure uh, Thorson, our young man who's back in Children's Church right now, get your name and number and he'll call you up and let you know. Oh, you're here? Oh, okay. Stand up, Thorson, so we can see you. There, Thorson, yeah. Get your number to Thor, he'll call you back and take you out for a burrito, all right? Yes. Um, the other thing is you see up there, it took uh, the kids up to Prescott at Watson Lake. Anybody been up there before and hiked Watson Lake? Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's very beautiful. Um, it's the lake that has all the boulders around it. And um, we, we decided to take a trail that should have led us to the dam. My desire was to go to the top of the dam, but we ended up at the bottom of the dam on the backside. Uh, my first clue should have been when we kept descending and descending and descending. <laughs> Didn't figure it out. But... Um, we are always looking for those who, who love kids and would like to be a mentor. Uh, desperately needed, but um, it's a desperate blessing for you as well. So if you are interested in that, again, our website, the kiosk in the back can tell you how to get more information to get involved. So with that, why don't we all stand, open your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 30. We are standing in honor of God's word. We are standing to now direct our thoughts, our minds, and our hearts and attitude to God's word, which has the power to transform your character and your life, if you allow it. So this is just helping us to get ready for the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Exodus chapter 30, starting at verse 1. You shall make an altar to burn incense on, you shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its width. It shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. And you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it, under the molding on both its sides, you shall place them on its two sides, and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it before the veil that it is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. This is God's word. Let's pray. 
Father, we give you praise for authoring a book that is so supernaturally put together. We thank you for the truth it contains. And we thank you, Father, for the spiritual life that we gain from it. I pray that as we study it this morning, that you would give us insight for living. And that as we think about how to apply it, especially to our spiritual walk with you, that we'd be thinking of how wonderful it is to have an intimate relationship with the true God. How it is that you desire a relationship with your creation, though you are so much higher above us. So we come before you humbly, gratefully, thankfully, and ask you now to help us to understand what it means, Lord, as we look at this golden altar of incense. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, I hope that as we've been going through this series, that it has been drawing you closer in your personal walk with the Lord. I hope that your prayer life has taken on new life and that you're seeing the power of prayer. At least you are enjoying the fellowship with God through prayer because that's what you're doing. You're talking to Him, right? Isn't that basic to all relationships, communication, talking, and listening? And I hope that you see the truth in God's word is applicable to today. That these aren't just things that were written thousands of years ago and are just formulas and architects' plans and how to build things, but there is true spiritual depth in these verses. Prayer is an awesome and incredible thing. It's one of those things that is so simple that any child can engage in prayer, but yet so profound that we will never, never plumb the depths and the breadth and the height and the width of prayer, not, not for all eternity. I think about looking at the Hubble telescope pictures of deep space. Have you seen some of those? Some of the uh, fantastic images and it seems like it's, it's absolutely limitless. Um, to look at s stars that are huger than our own galaxy. Our galaxy is 100,000 light years across. It means if you could travel at 186,000 miles per second, it would take you 100,000 years to get from one end of our galaxy to the other. And yet out in the cosmos, there are stars that are bigger than our galaxy. That blow your mind. Well, it blows my mind. And that's the way I look at prayer. Prayer is like that. I, I don't fully understand it, but it is important, and it's an incredible privilege, and it's an incredible power. And I hope you see today part of its um, necessity for one another, that we pray for each other. Because that's what intercession at the altar of golden or golden altar of incense is all about so 
when God gave his plans for the construction of the tabernacle, he filled the place with articles of furniture that are rich in spiritual symbolism. Remember, when we've been through this with every piece of the tabernacle, and even in the entrance of the tabernacle, which was a rectangular worship center, you know, a traveling worship center, the entrance speaks of Jesus being the only way to the Father, right? Just what Jesus said. There, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And of course, the most desired place in the tabernacle structure is the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is kept and where the Shekinah glory of God um, rests. So the entrance speaks of Jesus being as the only way to the Father. And then you come to the brazen altar where your sacrifices were made for the atonement of your sin. And of course, we know that Jesus died on the cross to make atonement for our sins. The, the laver speaks of the washing of the water of the word. You remember that when we went through it. And Jesus said, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. You enter into the tent of meeting now, um, and you see the table of showbread. We talked about that. And of course, Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And he also claimed to be the bread of life, right? So we see that we partake and we pray for our own needs first, not selfishly, but for the purpose of being a blessing to others because you can't bless if you haven't got the blessings to bless with. Then there's the golden candlestick. We talked about that. And that reminds us that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And remember, he told us that we are the light of the world. And so we pray there for all of the ministries that proclaim the gospel so that men can be led out of darkness. And then there's the veil between the holy place and the most holy place. And that reminds us that there was a separation between God and man, but that was rent open on the cross or at the cross by Jesus. Hebrews tells us that his flesh was torn, was the veil that was torn. So now we can have access to God, to that holy of holies. We can go in any time and talk about anything that's on our hearts. But before the cross, outside of that veil, was an altar of incense that we just read about. This piece of furniture, we see the Lord in his ministry as our great high priest who makes intercession for us. You know what intercession is, guys? It's when you interview someone else on someone else's behalf. You know, you uh, try to put in a good word for them so that whoever is in power will be nice to them. That's how you used to hope your brothers and sisters would do for you, you know, to mom and dad, so they didn't crush you. So we, we have this place where Jesus intercedes for us, but it's also a model where we intercede for one another, where we pray for the needs of one another. Intercession has been called the highest form of prayer. I mean, all prayer is important, and all prayer is significant. And nothing should ever stop you from praying. But to intercede for others is to be doing the ministry that Jesus is doing even now. Hebrews 
It says, therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Save from the guttermost to the uttermost. You've heard of that before? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. What do you live for? Well, this is what Jesus is living for. To make intercession for you. Aren't you glad about that? You should be. And you should be praying for mercy too at the same time. Romans 8.34 says, um, It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. He's probably giving God absolutely no rest, right? Because you think about all of us and how much we need Jesus to be praying for us. It's a constant run-on sentence. It doesn't stop. Now, while, at this, while this altar is filled with great symbolism concerning the Lord, there's some practical lessons for us. We're shown some truths about our prayer lives and about praying in general. For instance, incense in Scripture is used as a symbol of prayer. Psalm 141, Let my prayers be set forth as incense before thee, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Remember Zacharias? What was he doing um, while the people were praying outside the temple when he had that interview with Gabriel, right? He was ministering at the altar of incense at the time. And it was the time of the daily prayers. Revelation chapter 5, you have 24 elders falling down before the Lamb. And each of them has a golden bowl full of incense. And it tells us which are the prayers of the saints. So you see the symbolism is like it's right out in front. Don't have to twist the scriptures to make it talk that it is what it is. Um, in Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 and verse 3, we see uh, the materials of the altar, and we want to look at the structure and the symbolism of that. He says, you shall make an altar to burn incense on, and you shall make it out of acacia wood, and you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. Only two materials used in the manufacture of this altar, wood and gold. Wood in the Bible speaks of humanity, and gold speaks of deity. What person in scripture represents this most perfectly? <laughs> yeah, that's right. John 1.1, 1, 1. why don't you turn there? John 1.1. 1, 1. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, who we know is Dottie, Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there we see Jesus as gold, right? And then drop your eyes down to verse 14. And it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And here we see the word, the gold, becoming flesh, becoming wood. So you see the symbolism in the altar of incense, of the gold and the wood representing Jesus. Now, if you were to go to heaven and see him this morning, 
he would still have a human body, but it would be covered with his glory. Now we know what that looks like because in Matthew 17, 2, we have an explanation. Matthew 17, 2, Jesus is up on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. You guys remember when we drove by it, right? Saw that big tent on top of the hill, and they told us that that's where he was transfigured. Well, in Matthew 17, 2, it tells us that he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. That's James, John, and Peter who had come up before them, and they were having a conversation with Moses and with Elijah. And... It says, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. There's the glory. There's the glory. And that's what you will see when you see Jesus in his glory. So, the next thing we want to look at now is the size and the shape and the significance of that. Look at verse 2. The altar of incense. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its width. It shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. So in terms of size, this altar of incense is, is pretty small. Of all of the furniture in the tabernacle, it is the smallest piece. 18 inches square and 36 inches high. You know, sort of like a nightstand that you could sit next to your bed. Maybe a little high nightstand, but nevertheless, you get the idea. But though it was small in size, it's very large in importance. The work carried out here was a vital part of their service to the Lord. It's the same thing with prayer. In praying, it isn't the eloquence of your prayer, nor the length of your prayer. Um, one of, one of the commentaries I was reading said that uh, when I pray before people, the first three minutes, they're praying with me. If I pray three minutes more, um, they're praying for me. Okay? <laughs> and then if I pray three minutes more than that, then they are praying against me. Okay? <laughs> it's not the length of the prayer, not the eloquence of the prayer. It's the heart behind the prayer. Okay? Now, that, that tells you two things. It uh, tells me one thing is, uh, if we get somebody turned down, turned up, the, are you guys cold? Anybody freezing in here? Okay, can we turn the temperature up, somebody? Anybody? All right. That's what I was praying for. And I'm so thankful. Your heart is the main issue of your prayer. And that should warn you against praying half-heartedly for things. If you're going to go into the throne room of God and you're going to approach the mercy seat, take your heart with you. Don't blow it off. Stop. Be quiet. Check your heart. But also understand he reads your heart. Even words escape you. He can read your heart. F.B. Meyer said, The silent tear, the unchecked sigh, the unutterable groan compose a language which is as sweet to God as the first articulate syllables of a little child to a parent. 
Isn't that precious? Yeah, when my girls were learning to talk, you know, they talked in tongues. I didn't understand a word they said, but I sure loved it. It was precious. And so is your groans and moans and your inarticulate speakings to the Father. John Trapp said, For as it is not the loudness of a preacher's voice, but the weight and holiness of his matter, and the spirit of the preacher that moves a wise and intelligent hearer, so it is not the labor of the lips, but the travail of the heart that prevails with God. That's pretty cool. Now, there are many examples of these kind of short, heartfelt, fervent prayers. Um, Elijah, when he called down fire from heaven, right? You guys remember that story? Um, very short prayer, about eight words. And boom, all of a sudden, the fire consumed the sacrifice. And then there was the prayer of Peter, remember? Jesus told him to step out of the boat. And... Um, when he realized he lacked the faith to stay afloat, he said a real short, fast prayer. Lord, save me. Really quick, concise, succinct. There's the prayer of Jabez. as a short two-verse prayer in the Bible. That's the Lord bless me, basically, and enlarge my territory and make it so that um, it doesn't make it a harm for me or others. And God honored that prayer. And that's in First uh, Chronicles 4.10. Now, we've been talking a lot about prayer over the past few weeks, right? We've, we've been really into this whole thing. And, and I have really encouraged you to go before the Lord and to be importunate or importunate in prayer. And you say, well, doesn't that contradict what you're saying now? I don't think so. I just don't think you should pray mindlessly and without heart. I think sometimes when you're praying, you're processing a matter. You know, you've done that before. You, you're, you're talking about a subject and you, you, you're thinking about it as you're talking about it. You're processing, and I think that's okay. And that should help you pray more succinctly and fervently when you get to the heart of the matter as you process it through. All right, let's get into some more structure and symbolism. Look at verse 3, please. Exodus chapter 30, verse 3. And he says, You shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. You shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both its sides. You shall place them on its two sides. And they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Okay, the first thing we want to look at in verse 3 is the horns of the altar. If you remember when we were talking about the brazen altar, the altar of sacrifice, we realized and learned that the horns represent power. Power. What part of the bull do you really want to avoid? The business end of the bull with the horns, right? That's where the power is. So, horns speak of power. And on this altar, there are four horns on each corner of the altar. Samuel Chadwick said, Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. 
that's power. We're reminded of the might of prayer. Believing prayer moves mountains. Isn't that what Jesus told us? You say unto this mountain, be moved, and it would be removed. It unlocks prison doors. That's what it did for Peter, right? When the church was praying for Peter, and that was the first jailhouse rock, right? Um, Queen Mary was afraid of prayer. You guys remember Queen, Queen Mary, Queen of Scots, Bloody Mary, trying to reconvert Britain back to Catholicism during the Reformation. She said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. His prayers moved the hand that moved hearts. Prayer opens and shuts heaven and brings showers upon parched ground also. You remember, Elijah prayed, right? That it would not rain, and it didn't rain for three years. Then he prayed for rain, and it rained. Um, prayer opens and claims and wins heathen lands for the gospel. John Knox again, he's the one that said, give me Scotland or I die. Short, intense, powerful prayer. And indeed, there was revival in Scotland. It moves the arm that moves the world. It puts in motion those divine and irresistible forces which we call revival. F.B. Meyer says, brothers, let us pray. Now, in and of ourselves, we're weak and ineffective. But when you fall on your knees before a mighty God, you become a force to be reckoned with. When the saints are on praying ground, the devils of hell tremble before us. Something, I don't know if you realize this or not, or even can appreciate, but the demonic world is more wary of you than you need to be of it. Okay? That doesn't mean you should go in there all cocky, you know, and try to start a fight. But what I'm saying is, is that when you are on your knees before a mighty God, they tremble. William Cowper said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint on his knees. There is power in a saint who is in contact, contact with the God of heaven. Okay, let's, let's look at, in verse 3, the molding, or the crown. You shall put a molding of gold all around. This is something that went all around the top of this little altar. And this was in the practical sense, to prevent the incense from falling to the floor. Spiritually, this speaks of the fact that none of our praying is in vain. You ever feel like your prayers, all they do is hit the ceiling and bounce right back down? And they go nowhere and they do nothing, and you wonder, what's the point of it all? It's not true. God may not answer in your time or in your way, but he will hear you and he will answer you in a way that glorifies him and is what is best for you. Can you trust that and appreciate that? One writer said, when you're not getting what you want, then you're getting what he wants. That's a good thing, guys. That's a good thing. None of your prayers, if prayed from a righteous heart of faith, will ever fall to the ground they will be answered, even though you may not see the answer in your own lifetime. I, I don't know if I told you guys the story. You know, I don't know when I've told stories or not, so, you know, I'm 63, who cares? 
Andrew Murray was praying for the salvation of one of his friends and it just wasn't happening. The guy had absolutely no interest in coming to church or learning about Christ. And uh, for decades he prayed for him. His friends said, you know, why, why do you keep praying for him? You know, he has no interest. And he says, because it's not over yet. Well, Andrew Murray passed away and a few years later this man came to Christ. You don't know what your prayers are doing. Again, look at that Hubble telescope and look at the vast amount of galaxies that are out there. You don't know the power and the wonder that prayer is accomplishing when it's done in faith out of a pure heart. Let's look at the symbolism of the rings and the poles. Verse 4. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both its sides. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Now, of course, in a practical sense, these are fastened to the altar so that when Israel broke camp and moved, the altar would be carried to the new location and there resume the function before the Lord. The idea here, and this is what I want you to grasp, is that the altar of prayer was to be always near. Always near. This speaks of how near prayer should be to us. It should be as close to us as the breath in our lungs and the thoughts of our hearts. And when you think about it, that's exactly how close and how quick prayer can be done. It's with you always. Always the ability, always the opportunity, always the privilege to pray. Always. No one can ever tell you not to pray. No one can ever make a law saying you will not pray. Even in schools, like they said, Marilyn, we know as long as there's tests, there's prayer. <laughs> Turn to Isaiah 65, 24. As close and as fast as we can go to prayer, God's faster. Isaiah 65, 24. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. Spouses, don't you hate it when your wife or husband finishes your sentences for you? It's like they already know what you're going to say, right? You have a God who knows what you're going to say before you say it, and he's answering you before you even call out, knowing what's on your heart. He will answer. And even while you're speaking, he will hear. Now, what do you remember about that? If God hears you, what do you remember? Everybody's looking at me like deer in headlights. First John 5, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, then we have what we've asked for. Isn't that cool? He knows your heart. And again, that brings me back to that mystery of prayer. Well, if you know it, why do we got to go through this charade? Why do we got to go through this where I got to pray and go all this stuff? You already know what I'm thinking. You always know what I need. You always know what I want. Yeah, well, all of us, no, I won't say all of us. Some of us have had kids who don't appreciate what they've been given. And if all they do is just get without having to come in, you don't develop a relationship with them. Okay. 
God created you to have an intimate, personal relationship. And he's going to talk with you. He's going to bring you in. And he's going to make you talk about it, even though he already knows it all. He already knows it all. And this means you can pray anywhere, anytime, about anything. I, what, a, what a privilege. What an honor. I mean, it would be something if you're praying to somebody who can't do anything about it, you know. People say, hey, how you doing? You know, well, you know I don't want to go through telling you how I'm doing. There's nothing you can do about it, right? But then um, you talk to God. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the one that has all power. He knows everything, and there's nothing too hard for him. He's saying, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. You're my personal concern. All right, let's put some shoe leather and application on this, okay? Look at verse 6, and notice where the altar is placed. You shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony. Remember, we talked about this. This is the holy place. This is like the wall, the curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. You shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. The altar of incense was to be placed against the veil of the tabernacle. Behind the veil, unseen by human eyes, was the ark of the covenant and the mercy seat, where the blood offerings were placed on the day of atonement. There was something else in this little room in the veil called the Holy of Holies. It was the Shekinah glory the presence of God. And the only access to the glory of God into his very presence was through the veil, right? And what did we learn about Jesus' flesh? That it was the veil that was torn to allow access into the Holy of Holies. So the point here is this. It is through Jesus alone that we have access to the riches of God through prayer. That's why we pray in Jesus' name and according to what he would pray for and understanding that we have access into this precious place through him. Turn to John 14, please. John 14. John 14, 12. This is Jesus talking. He is talking to his disciples on the last night of his life here on earth. In the morning, he's going to be taken and he's going to be crucified. So he's talking to his 12 guys, or actually 11 guys at this time, because Judas has split. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to who? My Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That sounds pretty much like a blank check to me. What about you? Okay, go to chapter 16 and look at verse 23 and 24. And again, this is the same meeting with the same guys. 
just carrying on this theme. He says, in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you that whatever you ask, who? The Father in my name, he will give you. Till now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I like that. Answered prayer is a cause for joy. Answered prayer is also an affirmation of relationship. He heard me. He answered my prayer. Have you ever had that happen to you when God has answered a prayer? You go, dude, that is so cool. I am so stoked to know the true and living God. So we have access into this Holy of Holies. We have access into the throne room where we can receive mercy and grace in times of need through Jesus Christ. All right. So now we know we can go. Once you're there, what are you going to pray for? Because it seems like you have pretty much a blank check. Now, how many of you older Christians know that ain't like that? <laughs> no, it's not like that. When we pray for others, because that's what intercessions is all about. It's, it is praying and interviewing God on other people's behalf because they have needs whether it is a, a family crisis or an emotional need or a financial or a physical or a health need um, whatever it may be what do we pray how do you pray for those things I mean we should pray for practical needs for sure absolutely but I think to get a more effective view of what to pray we look at Paul's prayers for the saints. Because I don't always know how to pray for specific situations. But I'm always safe when I pray the word of God. And here I've got nine things I want to share with you that Paul prayed for saints. Okay? So um, you can just write these down and I'll read them to you. But I would highly recommend that you go home and you spend some time in prayer interceding for others. And you go through this list. To see what the Holy Spirit tells you the person you're prayer for, praying for really needs. Oftentimes we're praying prayers that are directing God to do things. God, would you do this please? God, would you get us a new car? God, would you heal my appendix? Father, would you increase my IQ level by three or four points? You know, instead of praying directly to the issue... And praying directly to the issue takes some sensitivity to the Spirit and some quietness so that the Holy Spirit can speak to your heart and mind because you've read through these scriptures, you're pretty well versed in them, and he will show you this is how you should pray. For instance, Paul prays for wisdom and knowledge. In Ephesians 1.17, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And Colossians 1.9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Don't get lost in the language here, okay? Whenever you read sentences that are long and have a lot of big words, we tend to check out. Stay focused for a little while. You're praying for wisdom and you're praying for knowledge. Wisdom is fundamentally the right application of truth. 
knowing how to apply the truth in a certain situation. Knowledge here is seeing and recognizing God in the situation and fellowshipping with him, that you may know him, okay? He also prayed for people to be full of hope or to be filled with hope, Ephesians 1.18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Then Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You know what hope is? It's the expectancy of certain good. You guys all remember pulling into the parking lot of Disneyland or Disney World? Right? As a kid, man, there's, oh, there's some coming good here. And it's just a matter of minutes before I get out of this car and hit that gate and run to the teacups. You know what I'm saying? You get it? That's the hope. The certain expectancy of coming good. Paul prayed that they would live in peace and in unity. Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Psalm says, Behold how good and how blessed it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. In unity. Nothing more uncomfortable to go over to a neighbor or a friend's house or even a relative's house and they're in a fight. And there's disunity, right? It makes you feel very, very uncomfortable. You just want to go out and get a pizza and go see a movie, right? What's it like to come into a church that is just tense with conflict? Have you ever done that? It's, it happens. And praise God it hasn't happened here yet. I pray that it never does. If it does, I'm out of here. Okay? But he prayed that they would live in peace and in unity. Paul prayed that they would be strengthened with spiritual power. Ephesians 3.16, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Ephesians 1.18 and 19, that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. And in Colossians 1.11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Have you ever said under your breath, Lord, give me strength. Lord, give me strength. Right? He says, good prayer. I'll give it to you. No, I want it now. <laughs> you see, the thing is, when we pray for strength, we want something to come over us that we approach a situation boldly, like a lion. Well, that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. If any of you have ever worked out in a gym or been in a weightlifting program, you know that, that you just don't do three reps of bench press, sit up and look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay? It's not until you are absolutely worn out that the muscles gain strength. 
And it's not till he has brought you to the extremity of your end of yourself, end of your patience, the end of your strength, that you're given the strength. Um, I know it's hard to, to believe this when you look at me, but there was a day when I used to work out regularly and was on a, a, a weight training program. And I used to go to Gold's Gym around 5 in the morning and work out. And at Gold's Gym at 5 in the morning, there's nobody there. There's the person at the desk who's half asleep, and then there might be one other person there, right? And I did this exercise they call, it's called a pyramid. You start off with the bar, it weighs about 45 pounds. You put about 15 pounds or 25 pounds on each end. You lift it as fast, many times as you can, 10 times, and then you add another 10 pounds. And then you lift that 10 times, and you add another 10 pounds. And you go up as high as you can go, and then you bring it all the way back down. And every time you lift it 10 times, you take off 10 pounds and take off 10 pounds till you're basically down with just the bar on your chest, and your arms are nothing but jello. Well, I got to that point, the bar was on my chest, and I could not get it off. I was wasted. There was one other person in the gym. It was a petite four foot eight blonde who probably weighed all of 89 pounds. And I said, oh, help. And she walks over with one hand, grabs the bar, lifts it up, puts it on the rack. What am I gonna say? <laughs> Uh, I was just, not just shut up and walk away. But you see, that was what was building the strength in the muscle. You pray for strength. How many of us need strength? A lot of people say, God will never give you more than you can handle. Right? But a lot of people give up way before they get strengthened. All right. A few more things real quick here. I'm running out of time. I'm sorry. Paul prayed that they would learn to abide in Christ. Ephesians 3.17 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Ephesians 3.18, That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Man, that sounds like somebody inviting me to really get to know the Lord. A very personal one. Jesus said, Abide in me, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? Paul prayed they would grow in their love for others, that you being rooted and grounded in love, Ephesians 3.17, and Philippians 1.19, in my prayer, that you love, your love may abound more and more. That was my very first honest, sincere, heartfelt prayer before God when I took over the pastorate here uh, 12 years ago, that this place would be a place known for love. And thus far, unless, you know, I'm a pastor with no clue, don't answer that. This place has been filled with that kind of love. I've seen it. I feel it. Um, people tell me that it's tangible when you walk in here. Um, seven, Paul prayed for the righteousness and purity. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, you, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Maybe what the people need is righteousness. What they may need is purity. Righteousness, what is it? Jehovah to Sid canoe. I am your righteousness. A lot of us need to realize that. Paul prayed that they would overflow with praise and thanks to our God, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 1.12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians 1.3. We should be overflowing, of all people, with praise and thanksgiving. 
But how many times do we find ourselves grumbling about the stupidest things, uh, the most inconsequential things? We have a saying in our house. After being in, in some developing nations, going to places like Peru where you get water two hours a day, then they shut it off when the average income is $40 a month. Um, and, and they're living in stark poverty. When all of a sudden something is irritating us, we say, that's a first world problem. The people in the developing world, those are issues. What we're going through, it ain't no thing. Ain't no thing but a chicken wing on a string. Okay? And then finally, Paul prayed for opportunities to minister. 1 Thessalonians 3, 9 and 10. We pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face, see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Do you remember Abraham? He was blessed that he might be a blessing. You are blessed that you may do the same thing. And when you put that blessing out to other people, you are ministering to them. You are the ministry. Got it? Okay. In the model prayer which Jesus taught his disciples, he made it impossible for them to do otherwise than pray for others when they prayed for themselves. You can't ask for daily bread without including all who need not bread only, but love and truth and faith. You can't ask forgiveness without including your enemies as well as your friends. Without including the ignorant and the careless, the prodigal and the rebel, the prisoner in the cell and the criminal on the scaffold. You can't ask for deliverance from temptation and evil without including all who are vain in their self-confidence as well as those who are weak and simple. Let me close with this quote from F.B. Meyer. Whenever we use the Lord's Prayer, as it's called, if we use it intelligently, we scatter the incense on the coals and join in the ceaseless intercessions of our Lord. He takes up our poor, weak petitions and joins them with his own so that they accumulate volume and cogency in their passage. Watch the breaking of the big billows on the coast and remember that each pulse of motion began in a tidy ripple caused by the touch of a cat's paw of wind. And understand how in a tiny prayer of yours, it may result in a billow that will break in thunder at the foot of the prayer throne. Let's all stand. Let's pray.